So once again, welcome. Our moderator is WFAE's news director, Greg Collard, and I'll turn it over to Greg. All right. Thanks, Mark. Well, good evening. Um, in, in preparing for this event, we came across an interesting study that was commissioned by the Pew Charitable Trust. I'll go over a few numbers with you. Uh, 70, it, it found that 79% of Americans say lack of respect and courtesy is a serious national problem. 62% say that witnessing rude and disrespect, disrespectful behavior bothers them a lot. And 60% believe the problem is getting worse. And this study was done in 2002. So, <laughs> so 10 years late, later, what's up in our society today in regard to respectful and disrespectful behavior? We certainly want all of you to be a part of the discussion in addressing this and related issues, the causes and symptoms, consequences, and we don't want to forget potential solutions. Uh, the three guests with us tonight will shed some light on these issues. I want to introduce them to you now. To my right is Judge Ricky McCoy-Mitchell. She, she's a Mecklenburg County District Judge and has been so since 1993. Eight. She handles primarily juvenile court matter, matters, including custody and delinquency cases. Uh, Judge McCoy Mitchell is a former Mecklenburg assistant DA and an attorney for the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Her extensive civic involvement includes youth mentoring programs and efforts aimed at preventing teen violence. In the middle is Jerry McGee, and for 20 years, Mr. McGee has been president of Wingate University. He is a native North Carolinian who began his career in business with Burlington Industries. Earlier this fall, he wrote a newspaper column that was headlined, A Call for Civility This Election Season. I'm not sure if the candidates paid much attention, but uh, until a few years ago, Mr. McGee was a college football referee in the Atlantic Coast Conference. He, in fact, he officiated about 400 games, and I'm sure he was always shown respect by players, coaches, and fans. <laughs> his, his resume, in fact, includes officiating the uh, 2009 National Championship game. So, and Cindy Shaw is, has worked for CMS for the past 28 years. She's a nationally certified school psychologist and was recently named to the position of specialist for school psychology at CMS. Ms. Shaw is from Detroit and received her graduate training at Central Michigan University. Thank you all for coming. Well, given the subject, I would be remiss if I did not remind all of you to put your phones on silent. <laughs> so I'll give you a moment to do that. Um, and a show of hands, raise, raise your hand if you think there's a big breakdown in respect in today's culture. Anyone think this is overblown? No one. All right, we know our audience. <laughs> so how many think the perception of disrespectful culture grows as we get older? Want a show of hands at that? A few, okay. It certainly occurred to me that I sound more like my dad every day in preparing for this. I'm prone to saying the same things that made my eyes roll when I was a teenager um, when I hear about this sub subject. But let's turn to our panelists. Judge McCoy Mitchell, is there a widespread culture of disrespect in our society? Like all of you, I would agree with a resounding yes, unfortunately. Uh, but I think even more than it being stated as disrespect, is what the consequences befall upon us from that disrespect. As you had already heard, 
um, sitting in juvenile court on a daily basis, and actually I also preside in our domestic violence courtrooms where we tend to see younger and younger victims and perpetrators coming there as well, is that we see not only the disrespect where you're talking about the verbal, and I'm sure as you'll hear from Ms. Shaw, some of the bullying that they refer to, but we talk about actual events of violence that result from it. So by someone bumping into you or stepping on your sneaker or talking about you as you perceive them to be, we've seen young people end up in situations where one slit the throat of another or a situation where we're talking about then um, a beating so severe that when a lot of times as we look back when we were talking about being younger children where maybe the worst situation that might come out may be a black eye, we're talking about young people actually beating one, one another almost to death. So that's the level that we can get to when we talk about disrespect. You've been a judge now for 15, almost 15 years. Has this Was it like this when you first started, or have you just seen an increase in the last few years? What? Even at the time I started, you saw it, but I think at that point we still looked at it a lot like, as I was saying, when we were growing up, just more of maybe a black eye here or there, but just very with, without any sometimes seeming remorse to be able to cut another child's throat with a box cutter was nothing that we had seen before. So it has gotten worse. Where does this come from? I mean, help us, I mean, what's this, help us understand. I mean, we can, I mean, we understand we all get, we all get anger, but how does it escalate to that level um, so quickly? There are a lot of different reasons, and, and I know I could spend the time mm-hmm. talking to you all night myself, and I know we've got a couple other panelists, as, uh, Ms. Shaw, and, and I'm sure as, as we talk about here from the educational standpoint, too, some of the other factors, but at least from the court setting, because I know we'll get to that mm-hmm. after you've heard some of the other um, psychological factors that underlie it. But two things that I see quite a bit Um, as we talk about it ending up in a judicial setting, is that it's coming from a situation, one being there being no other way seen as being able to respond in situations. For example, you think about if someone does something to you, your immediate response would normally be stop, or maybe I need to go tell an administrator, as opposed to responding in a violent manner. But we see that, and some of that comes because that's what we see as being an acceptable way of responding. Another situation that comes up a lot when we talk about, and particularly in our court setting, and a lot of times, unfortunately, when we're looking at our young people, is because we've forgotten what our value is as a person. That we're so far removed from each other you even had to hear um, the instructions about turning off the phone. That And how many of us have sat in the same room and seen probably our children text each other sitting right next to each other? But there's not the communication. It's not the empathy. There's not a feeling that this is another person who lives, breathes, hurts, cries, 
and you have your video games and all the other media mm -hmm. things that we'll talk about, I'm sure. But then we forget that that person has a value. So when we forget they have a value, then that individual holds on to whatever they can. If that means that my sneaker is the most important thing to me because you don't think I'm worth anything, then I am ready to fight over a sneaker. Before we go on to other panelists, I want to—I forgot to say one thing. We do have two people in the audience tonight with the microphone, and uh, where's the Michael Tomzik and Kim Brooks? And if you have—if you want to be part of the discussion, have a question, raise your hand. They'll come to you, and we'll get to you as soon as we can. Um, Mr. McGee, your, your, your response. I mean, is there a widespread culture of disrespect? You obviously come at it from a different angle, but what are your opinions? Yeah, I, I certainly think there is. Most people think that the, the world I live, is, live in is, very, is ideal, and it's pretty close because I'm dealing with uh, bright young people who are trying to pursue a, a degree to do something uh, meaningful with their life, and I've got parents that are engaged, and I've got a wonderful faculty but, but we see instances where, where there are very unrealistic expectations, maybe from, uh, from parents, about what they sh should be happening at our university. And I often think that they get confused. They think that they pay tuition to get a degree. And we have to remind them they, they pay tuition to get an education. And there is a process. And during that process, you're going to do some things that maybe you didn't want to do or didn't expect to have to do. And so I think sometimes that... Uh, that maybe uh, the person who's writing a check back home has maybe an unrealistic expectation of what their child can do or what we can do for them. But, and they can be very disrespectful when they contact the school, but it's never harmful, it's never physical, and that sort of thing. So it's a, it's a whole different world. But I live in the same world you do, and, and uh, I was reminded just last week uh, my granddaughter had her eighth birthday party at a children's restaurant. And we were all there, and we were all having a great time, and all the little five-year-olds and the eight-year-olds and ten-year-olds were playing and eating pizza and having a big time. And this 35-year-old lady just stood up and just started screaming at her mother. And the words she was using in front of those children just was so revolting. And I thought, how could she disrespect this room filled with young people that she doesn't even know? But... You know, I, I've sort of beat myself up this week because I should have gone and gotten the manager and had her thrown out of the place. But, but we kind of we kind of say, well, we're gracious and we we want to be kind to people. And we, I felt like she was dealing with some issues other than what was in front of her, and she was so disrespectful to everyone in the room. And I, I'm not even sure she knew it because I think maybe that's the way she conducted her life. And uh, but you see those things happen and and and. I think we all, in our hearts, we want to say it's getting better, but it, but it, it really isn't. Yeah. And I think very few days go by that I don't see someone do something or say something to someone that I think is disrespectful. Mm -hmm. This stops far short of what you were talking about. But, again, it's hurtful, and, and I think it's a, uh, it teaches everyone who hears that that that's okay, and it's mm -hmm. not okay. And somewhere we have to start drawing the line. Well, Ms. Shaw, you're in our schools. What's going on? Is there a widespread culture of disrespect? 
You know, I've been thinking about that a lot since I got the call to be on this panel and um, was talking to the judge before uh, this, uh, before the presentation starts. And I'm sure that what I see in public schools is the tip of the iceberg compared to what she sees. I think on an interpersonal level, I've rarely met a, a, child, a student who uh, was who I would just classify as a, a totally disrespectful. I mean, they all come to us with some wonderful qualities that we we need to promote. But I know that I've I've heard some of the stories about things they've been involved in outside the school, and it, it, sometimes it's very hard to believe. And I think that some of it does stem from uh, not feeling valued. Um, I think it, it and, not, and maybe also stems from having to take care so much of everything that goes on um, in their lives that, you know, when they come upon an obstacle, they don't know anything else but to stand up for themselves. Um, I think that, um, that it's unfortunate that, that, that we... We have so many young people who don't feel valued because I think that respect um, is is something that we learn. We learn it from our parents. We learn it from our teachers. We learn it from our friends. Um, I think that to to be respected, you have to show respect. And I think that, unfortunately, some of our boys and girls don't come to school having felt that respect and felt that value. Um, I also think it, it requires that we can put ourselves in another person's situation. You know, you know, when I think about how my action might affect another person, I, I, I stop and, and reframe how I'm going to respond to them. And I think some, sometimes some of our students come to school and they don't have that sense of empathy for other people. And, and then they don't stop and, and think and maybe say maybe a different way would be better. We all, maybe a stereotype is a lot of people, kids that are disrespectful, come from tough, tough homes, um, maybe single-parent homes. What you're describing, Mr. McGee, it sounds, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of those parents, that's not the case with a lot of the parents that are showing disrespect. I mean, is this, is this, is this kind of, is it more expansive then? And <laughs> I think so. I think you can, uh, you can, just as you can have too little, you can have too much. And I think sometimes those who have too much, uh, have an expectation that they should be treated differently, and and uh, we're all equal. We're mm-hmm. all exactly the same, and uh, and I think that gets lost a little bit sometimes when you look at the uh, when you compare things socioeconomically. That that has nothing to do with respect. We we all are exactly the same. We're a human being, and we deserve respect. But I don't think you you get anything extra mm-hmm. because of you came from an affluent home. I think you sh- should be treated like everyone else. Well, what is causing this? Why isn't a child feeling have any value? I mean, what what? Let's get into let's get into the causes and, and the and the and the consequences, Judge. I think as Dr. McGee was saying, and we have to always remember that you can't take a broad brush and say all kids from this particular area or this social economic level are this way, because that's not Absolutely. true. Um, or that all kids, because you do have the exposure, are going to be a particular way, that you find that child as being that individual child. What we do see, unfortunately, in situations where sometimes our young people are not feeling valued is because they're in circumstances that don't 
um, as you heard Ms. Shaw say, lend them to having been respected and been heard or having to meet so many responsibilities. When we think about some of the things that we have to do before we even get into our respective careers, professions, or whatever we might do for that day, you would be probably shocked to think of what some of our other young people have to go through or do before they even get to school. And so, and what they've um, endured during that time, what they've been said, things that have been said to them. For example, um, I'm, I believe in leading with strength because I think each and every one of us have some kind of amazing gift. Some of us just have to reach a little deeper and be a re reassured that it's there, while others of us, it's just poured on us all the time. We're told and praised every few minutes about how wonderful we are. But I had a young man that was in my courtroom, and I said, uh, so what do you see yourself doing? You know that question that you get. What do you see yourself doing five years from now or ten years from now? Something that we think typically would be a question all of us could answer, right? Well, I got the pause. I got the lowered head. So I called out his name to try to get his attention and to get him to look up at me eye to eye so that I, in that way, was hoping that I was letting him know that I was hearing him. His response to me is, I'm going to be a failure. And the same pause that you just had was a pause that I had. Because I'm like, what do you mean you're going to be a failure? You're not going, my automatic response, you're not going to be a failure. He said, well, that's what my mom said. That's what my aunt said. That's what people said around me. And this, again, is not because in that situation, those were certain circumstances for him, but that could have been any other place. You go places where, regardless of the socioeconomic or the location geographically, and tell me you don't hear people saying things to a child or a young person that you go, I can't believe they said that. And we think th those words, you hear that old thing about um, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. If somebody tells you you're a failure, tell me that doesn't hurt. And so when you hear that constantly, it's just like we all psychologically, the repetitiveness, once you keep hearing something, you start buying into it, don't you? So if you're told you're going to be a failure, that's saying that you, don't, you aren't valued, then that's what I see. And if our community generally just kind of turns our back to certain populations or as people who know me well know that I, I really am such an advocate when we talk about our adjudicated youth, youth that are in the system or youth that are in foster care because a lot of times we want to give up on those kids. And these are some of the most amazing young people you will ever meet. But if we say to them, well, you're too far gone, it's no use now, then we've told them you have no value. So they receive what they see and hear. So how do you balance um, di discipline or punishment with showing this uh, concern or help it, helping them get on the right track? Is it 
talk a little bit about that, please? Oh, I, I would love to because that gets me talking about where yeah. we look for solutions and what do we do. Because it's so easy to say I'm one person and I can't make a difference. But as I started listening to those young people uh, in the courtroom on a daily basis from being a failure or not having anything, they're saying, I don't know, not saying anything at all. Or even the young person has said, if I'm living within that period of time, drove me to the point of saying, this, this has got to stop. And it would have been easy for me to say in my role as a judge within that box on the bench, well, I've dealt with this case, so that's the end of it. I've done what I'm supposed to do. I've lived up to my responsibilities. But I said, no, that's not. I'm a member of this community. I'm a part of this young person's life, so it is up to me to look at doing something else. Does that mean that we don't have to look at some of the punitive measures? Sure. But does that also mean that I have a responsibility to say, what are some of the other options? So I will tell you, as I was seeing some of you enter the door, was familiar with some of the faces, and you probably got some calls from me. Because I would sit up on that bench when I was talking to a couple of the young people who had been in detention. And we call detention is a nice word for jail for young people. Detention. So we talked about people being in detention, and we've had to do that. But when they've been there and done that, what do we do next? Because it's not just you just throw them out there. Learning what these gifts and talents were. Young people who, um, one young man, big drug dealer. It was what it was. But amazing mathematical skills. So I would ask him, so how much does a gram of this cost? And how much could you make <laughs> off of this? And, and what's your profit margin? And where do you go? So I'm just asking, this young man is spewing numbers out. Incredible. Just incredible. So I said, well, what do you think about looking at using those math skills that you're so good with in something else? And he looks at me like a deer caught in the headlight. What do you mean? And I said, well, what about being an accountant? And you talk about a real look like you're caught in a deer caught in a headlight. Accountants make money. And I said, look, the last check I just wrote when we had our tax, taxes prepared, they make money, okay? Uh, and if you do it legally, then you're good. So I called because I believe in community. These are not somebody else's kids. These are our young people. So I called my accountant and said, do you mind if this young person comes over, just kind of hangs out with you, see what you do, see what it takes to get to that point? He could have said no because clearly he was busy, but he didn't. Sure. Went over there, the same young man, after spending some time with someone where he could see the possibilities of what could be done, came back, same young man that had issues about the behavior, the academics, transformed, transformed, made the highest math score that they had had on the test, transformed. But that was because somebody said, I value you, I care about you, I'm willing to invest. And we're not always talking about money. We are talking about time. We are talking about exposure. And so I was doing that day after day, time after time, whether it was my hairstylist or uh, a friend of mine that was an architect or sending people down, a great friend who was a veterinarian. It was because they got a chance to see beyond their current circumstances. So when you talk about what you can do, um, 
another man was in the courtroom just observing, found out, because I will ask whoever's in my courtroom, who are you, why are you there? Because a lot of times our cases are closed, so you don't have everybody mm -hmm. in there. But found out this gentleman came in there, had worked with SCORE. And if any of you have heard about it, that's one of our senior programs where you have seniors who, executives that have retired, um, met the same young man, and I asked him about the big drug dealer I told you about. Asked him about working with him on a business plan to look at what he wanted to do in the future. Did that, shared his talent. So we're not talking about you're investing hours and hours or giving everything you've got. Sometimes it's that word, it's that exposure that can make a change that you would never imagine. And like I said, I could take over okay. talking <laughs> about this. Well, so, but um, that well, is one of the things that you can really think about doing, the mentoring. Well, this has also become an issue read recently in higher education. I uh, read an article recently in the Associated Press about actually teaching respect on college campuses. And here's one small portion of the article. It said, colleges across the country are treating the erosion of common decency as a public health epidemic on par with measles outbreaks and sexually transmitted diseases. Uh, schools that have some type of, of a civility ca campaign program or a workshop include uh, Penn State, Vanderbilt to Tennessee. Uh, Mr. McGee, I mean, should colleges be in, the, be in this business? Yeah, we, we have to be because so many young people get to us without having had the, uh, the mentoring and the direction that they need. But, but we take it a little farther. We, we feel like uh, when a student has gotten to our institution, you know, we're prepared to take them in to the next level. But we try to then take those students that are doing very well and take them to the elementary schools. Mm -hmm. And we, uh, the Wingate Elementary School is just a block from our campus. And practically every day, there's a group of our students who are there volunteering, working with young people, and they're, they're giving them a wonderful role model. Uh, I always say to people around Charlotte, if, uh, if, you, if you're really looking for sports heroes, uh, for your children to emulate, it doesn't have to be the big pro teams. There are some wonderful young people attending our colleges and universities that are playing sports, but they're also getting a great education and they're preparing to be accountants or to be lawyers or to be school teachers. And those are wonderful role models for these young people. So we, we, we have a few students who come to us who are a little rough around the edges that we could polish up a little bit, but, but we feel like starting much, much earlier and trying to get our very best and brightest students, the ones that really have a plan to their life, get them in front of a third grader or a second grader mm -hmm. and let them be an example for them and, and maybe get them started a little bit earlier. I think large state schools with 40,000 students, 50,000 students, 400 people in a classroom, uh, I think maybe they have a few more issues mm -hmm. than a small private institution would have where we have 20 people in a classroom and somebody in charge of, of everything that goes on. And uh, uh, I think that when you have the masses, maybe the civility probably falls along the wayside a little quicker. But, Sean, maybe you could speak to this. But I guess on a, on a basic level, uh, it's just my own little observations, uh, kids don't seem to say thank you as much. Talking to my... Uh, son's friend on, on a cell phone. He didn't say goodbye. I've noticed <laughs> uh, basic stuff like that, holding a door open for someone who needs, who needs help. Are kids are taught this anymore or, or parents? Or? You know, sometimes you have to wonder. Um, <laughs> it, it seems like um, many 
children don't, but it, but I also meet many who do. But I think I think it's taking the time to to you know to say to our children as they're coming up, you know, look around. You know, I mean, I, to my own sometimes. You know, I'm walking in with bags of groceries and they're ahead of me, and I I'm kind of like, do you see that? Maybe I can't open that door. I, I think that we live in a very fast-paced society. You know, talking. You know, you said uh, a kid not saying goodbye on a cell phone. You know, I mean, the technology has mm-hmm. changed so much, and I think it's in a sense it's changed it, it kind of changes the playing field and maybe the rules and maybe we're in a in a at a time when we're trying to learn new ways of of dealing with some of these some of these new things um but y- you know you, you do wonder sometimes. well is there a disconnect when it comes to technology where people adults what's rude to us just is it rude at all to to younger people that's just their their culture now where we're we're out of touch uh, i mean just throwing that out there. It's, <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm a little bit unusual, I guess, as a okay. university president. I, I, I give every student my email address when they walk on campus. And I say, I want to hear from you. If things are going great, I want to hear from you. If things are going not so great, I want to hear from you because I want to make sure that I can intervene and help you along the way or make sure you get the help that you need. So every student gets my gets my cell phone number. They all get my they can text message me anytime they wish. They can send me emails, and I always remind them. Now, now, if you're going to send me an email about something and you're angry, just take a moment before you send that email, because you might not get the response you want. And uh, and sometimes I get those emails at 3:05 in the morning, and my. my Phone's always by my bed, and it just kills the students because at four o'clock they get an answer. <laughs> and usually, if the if the question they asked me was presented in a nice way, or the favor they needed was presented in a nice way, they get a lovely response. If they sort of rude and obnoxious, they will get a note from me saying, "Listen, I'm going to help you because I care about you. You've got an issue, and I'm here to help. So here's what we're going to do: we're going to fix this problem." Now, the next time you send me an email, think about it just a moment before you send a rude one. And, and I think it's a teachable moment. And I think maybe, maybe sometimes we assume that people get to us and have had those teachable moments, but maybe they haven't. And so I think every time we have a chance for a teachable moment to teach someone civility or to teach someone how to relate to a person, I think that, that's a good thing to do because we all come from different environments and different backgrounds and different family situations and it, it's they haven't necessarily had the message they need to have in the way they treat people so that's a chance for us to do that all right we have someone right here who wants to speak and we'll go to you now. Uh, i know her wait yeah <laughs> go ahead right. okay, thank you hi um, i'm dr karen frank uh your honor dr mcgee and miss shaw i want to an- have an answer or some guidance in regards to It's the respect and disrespect we get to, but I grew up in a society, I'm 57 and I'm proud of it. And I'm actually in law school now, so it's my third career. So, And I'm around a lot of 20-somethings and 30-somethings that tell me I'm too old. Just so you know, no respect. But when I grew up, you could agree to disagree and not be disagreeable. We do not live in that society anymore. There is nothing but, you owed me this, and I don't have to say please and thank you and give this to me. And I worked my butt off uh, to send my daughter as a single parent to medical school. I lived in the streets. 
I understand it. And these 20, and I'm sorry if you're 20-something or (laughs) 30-something, I apologize. I'm not trying to pick on you. But, I mean, literally disagreed with someone in my class, and the guy was ripping me up and down, and thank goodness for the professor. She gave me permission to smack him. I said, no, I don't need to do that. Uh, yeah, exactly, Your Honor. Yes. No. I said, no, it's just not that important to me. So the question being, what has happened or how do we fix this inability of society as a whole right now to be able to disagree but not be disagreeable? Because that's where the root is as I see it. The disrespect and respect is just irrelevant to the fact that I can't disagree with anyone except Latoya and I. We can disagree and we're really good friends and we don't have to be on the same side for anything and we're still good friends and we speak civilly to each other so i'm pushing 60 and it's horrible uh every time a man opens the door for me i go thank you chivalry is not dead <laughs> I, I, I would emphasize one thing that you said that i think is just critical that gets to it it was about your comment on how with your friend you're able to agree to disagree, as I think it really depends a lot on relationships. Um, I see a lot of our technology where our young people are just so incredibly um, capable of doing amazing things with it, but I also see it as being sometimes a blessing, but sometimes a burden. Because as Dr. McGee said, when he got the email, and that's how sometimes we see the cyberbullying things that happen, Um, or you see the arguments back and forth, when you're not oftentimes face-to-face with people, it's really easy to text or email or, well, I guess from now, I'm still in the computer generation. I know a lot of you are still uh, looking at more of the tweeting and all of that. It's easy to say those things because you don't have to face somebody, and you're not developing relationships. When you have relationships with people, it is so much easier to get into a position of agreeing to disagree, as you say, because you're going to respect and you're going to have empathy for your friend because you know this is a person. We don't have to believe the same thing. We don't even have to like the same thing. But I respect you as an individual because I have this relationship with you. As I said when I started out one of those examples, when our kids are sitting next to each other and they send text messages, text messages right next to each other, then how do you develop a sense of what a person's feelings are, Mm -hmm. how it made you feel when the person was um, just going back and forth with you and and approaching you in ways that certainly could have been handled much differently because you don't have a sense of what that feels like. So I would love for us to, while we benefit from our technology, to spend a lot more time focusing on our relationships and, uh, and our contact. I was going to say, I would say that that's important as well. And, you know, uh, it's like an instant answer. I don't think that any of us have an instant, in, an instant answer. I think having forums of this sort where we talk about it, I think reminding people. I mean, I know that I, I, I sometimes think, you know, should I disagree with this person? Are they going to accept what I have to say? And we shouldn't have to feel that way. I mean, we, you know, we live in a society that's founded on free speech, but if you're afraid to say what you think because of the reaction that you're going to get from someone, that can be difficult. But I, but I, I think that we also, 
you know, I, I think that we have to try to communicate with other people and we have to let them know, you know, well, well first of all, you know, if you disagree, that's okay. I can, I can live with that. And you might convince me, but there comes a point where you're not going to convince me, so we might as well agree to disagree. Um, but I also think that, um, you know, by, by trying to model uh, the behavior that we want to see, I think that that helps. And I think that we can teach our kids how to how to how to interact in a, in an appropriate in a socially appropriate way you know i think in schools we you know we we hear the reports about the undergrade tests in math and reading and we look for those scores to rise and it's important that they rise we know that a good education is the foundation to a successful life but you know we also have to remember that you can have the highest math score um, or the highest language art score or whatever um, that we that can be had, and if you can't interact with other people, you're you're probably going to um, suffer consequences for that, either by not being employable or or by not having the kinds of friendships that you, that make life meaningful and, and enjoyable. Um, you know what you said about uh, remembering uh, before you fire off that email that you know somebody is reading it and that they have feelings. You know that's important, but you know another problem with email is that you know I'll get an email and 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 you know I I, I might think wow that's that uh, you know the tone feels to me like it's it's disrespectful or rude and that might not have been what was intended by the person and I and so sometimes I have to remind myself before I get upset and pick up that phone and maybe have a conversation that I'll regret later I need to you know talk to them you, you, before we go to you, uh, you had mentioned something, uh, your appreciation when you were when someone opened the door for you, and uh, <laughs> the man did that. I, I, I wonder. Uh, <laughs> I wonder on a basic level, is that do do people here appre- appreciate it when when something like that is, happens? And well, I think she's hit upon the uh, the most important thing in any kind of relationship: disagree and agreeably. I, I actually was thinking about that today when I was looking over notes for this this session. I, I don't care if you're talking about uh, uh, child to parent or you're talking about husband to wife, if you're talking about neighbor to neighbor, if you're talking about congressman to congressman uh, or congressperson, if you're talking about uh, uh, statesman to statesman. I, I, I think it's important that there is room for different opinions. And... Uh, I learned a very valuable lesson once. I had to go visit someone at the U.S. Senate, and I had never agreed with this person on any vote that he had cast in his lifetime, but I had to go see him. And the first thing he did was said, let me introduce you to some of my colleagues. And everybody he introduced me to had voted just like I thought they should vote, and he had disagreed with them on almost every issue. But you know what? They were very close friends, but they had gotten over that. You can we're all human beings, and we're all different, and we all come at life in different ways. We're going to disagree, but you don't have to be rude, and you don't have to be disrespectful. And I, I think you might just write a book about that because I think that's the key to all relationships. So. <laughs> okay. Relationships matter. That's the motto at Charlotte School of Law. Relationships matter. We do it in the hallway with everybody. But there's still some <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think that this could probably last all night, so just get ready. 
Um, one thing I wanted to say that I think is very important, and it goes back a little to, bit when closer children, to, to when children are very young. Um, being a kindergarten teacher, I realized that my assistant many, many years ago looked at me and said, these children are jerked up. And I knew exactly what she meant by that because they're not exactly raised up. They're not and exactly so what? They're not raised up. They're just jerked up. Mm -hmm. And she said that's what happens because they don't know manners. They don't know how to act the proper way to people. And, um, and I really appreciated the way that she told me that and what she meant by it. The other thing I wanted to say is that what does bother me about texting and about emailing is that you don't know the inflection of the other person's voice. You don't know if they're angry. You can't tell because it's just words. And so when you, when you read it, you don't know how to interpret it. So that's very confusing to me, and I find that with my 23-year-old all the time. Hmm. I don't know exactly what she means. <laughs> Kim, we got someone else behind you. There's another, someone else here, too, with the microphone. Just here. Myself? Hi. Um, I'm Astri. I'm originally from Bostonian. Um, my Getting back to the, my concern is the lack of civility. I was raised in a very traditional family. You open the door for someone, well, here, I've come growing up, I open the door, ten people go by and not one <laughs> decides to hold the door, door beside me. And I've, my comment is the, I understand that there are those that may sense a lack of value and express their frustrations by demanding their values in a more aggressive manner. However, there are those who, with a tremendous self sense of entitlement, will, I think there's a level of that they will, um, I'm missing the word, that with a sense of entitlement, a sense of pompous, pompousness in society and arrogance. Um, there is, the, I say, you, the worst thing that happened was the customer was also, is always right because you've invested society with the sense that I can scream, I can yell, and I'm going to get what I want regardless of what anybody says. And there ha that, ha that has to change in society. That's just my comment, that we have to refrain from I'm always right because you are letting me know and understand that I'm always right, but that I will understand you and I will see to you when you're right and also, but you have to see a common duality and respect between one another. All right. Any comment on that? All right. Um, one of the things I was just, just a thought that came in is every, or the most of the people that have spoken so far, I keep speaking about the young people, one of the things that I notice on a daily basis um, is that, I mean, we were talking about the young people, but the grown-ups who sit on their cell phone and you're sitting texting and you wonder why their children have, are disrespectful when they are sort of shoved off because I've got to finish this text message or I've got to finish this email. I have to take this phone call. Well, if it's dinner time, you don't have to take that phone call. But I think the way our... Corporate America, I guess. I mean, I can't really say that. I'm in healthcare, and it's in that too. I mean, you, you want, like, the phone rings, you just, you want to pick it up. 
because for some reason we might miss that call. But it used to be that well, we didn't even have a voicemail. So you didn't always have to have that immediate contact. But when I see a lot of children who don't, who seem disrespectful in my mind, a lot of times I have to think, well, you know, their parents, instead of speaking to them in the car, they're on a phone call with their friend. What's the perfect opportunity to sit there and ask their children about their day? And it's just, you know, kind of one of the things we keep saying, the young people, the people in their 20s, you learn it from somewhere. And I think that we sort of have gotten into a really bad habit of, yes, technology is, I mean, they're following what their parents do. Their parents sit on their, sorry, their parents sit on their BlackBerry to answer their emails. Well, what are they going to do? They're going to sit in the back and they're going to text back and forth because they can't be loud because their parents on a phone call. So it seems to me we sort of have to step up ourselves and sort of see what we're doing before we judge our children. Mr. I would just add, you know, I, I think that was a great point. When I made the comment about modeling what we do, and it goes both ways. We model good and bad behavior. We may not see it as being negative, but clearly in that situation where you're doing something that's distracting you from paying or having to take advantage of a positive situation, then we are modeling to them that you're ignored and I don't need to talk to you right now and this is more important to me. So I think that's a great point. And in in saying that, I would even take it uh, a step further. I have seen young people, and I will give credit, I mean, small as I see our young man over here that will open the door for you. And I just think it's a great thing and reminding them because one of the solutions that I think is there is also empowering our young people to set those examples. So if he opened that door and got that thank you and we appreciate that, then others his age are going to look at him a lot more and value, and he's going to have credibility, then I would say, then I would have saying, open the door, that's a good thing to do. So I think that, I think it works not only with what you said, but I think we have to take it a step further and remind our young people that are trying to do good things, to make them loud, make them the ones that are being heard and being seen, as opposed to feeling like they have to go along with some other behavior that maybe we would not like to see as often. Yeah, I thought that was a wonderful point as well. And, and, and I think we've got to remind ourselves that, that everyone wants to be heard. And uh, I, I'm reminded of my oldest granddaughter when she was little. She, she had a lot to say, but she didn't know any words. And she would just sit and sputter all these sounds And I would try to just sit and look straight in her eyes like I was really interested and answer and talk. And then one day she started talking in sentences. It was like, what has happened here? But I remember so much when I was little, sitting with my grandfather. And I learned most of what I know from him. but, But the main thing was when I said something, he stopped and looked directly into my eyes and listened to what I had to say. And it was important to me that somebody cared what I had to say. And, and I think they're, they're learning. You know, the, the young people, are when they're with you, they are learning. And whether you're doing something you should be doing or something you shouldn't be doing, they are learning from you. And, you know, uh, uh, those teachable moments, again, sometimes are happening when you don't realize they're happening. I think. 
Yeah. How many of us are on our cell phones or smartphones and iPads and all that when our kids are talking to us? And, and what I was thinking as you were talking is, is uh, what, what is that kid going to have to do to get their parents' attention? You know, what, what yep. kind of action is he going to have to engage in to, to, to get yeah. what we should be giving? We'll go here first, and then we'll go over here. Um, I, I have been sitting here listening and had the same reaction as the former speaker that we were always talking about the kids doing this or the young person doing that. And um, I think so much of what our society is showing our, our children is exactly the same thing. We are behaving the way they are. It isn't a matter of teaching them. It's a matter of modeling what is respectful, modeling concern for people, modeling sensitivity to other people's uh, needs or their attitudes, whatever it is. We can tell our children all day what to do, but if we cut somebody off on the telephone with a rude comment, if we step in line in front of someone and think it's pretty cute, or if we we cut them off uh, in our car, everything we do is teaching our children what they think must be the way you're supposed to act. And so instead of talking as much about what the kids do, I think depending on your age, your age level should get together and talk about what I do, what we do. And uh, I've even lived longer than the lady over there in the black. <laughs> and I can assure you that, and what do what they see on television? Um, what do they see or hear in the radio? They see people who are completely self-centered. And those people are emulated. Yeah. So why else, why wouldn't they want to act that way? Um, we are responsible. We're accountable. Much more than the child is. And if they are not seeing and watching and appreciating the model of someone who cares, it's because they aren't seeing it at all, and they act on what they see. Judge McCoy Mitchell, do parents have a tough time these days? And, and Ms. Shaw, maybe you can, uh, any of you can answer this, but uh, um, do parents have a tough time these days saying no to their kids? Is that a Oh, yeah, I look, I probably need to raise my own hand mm-hmm. to talk about that sometimes. But I think we have to be even more intentional about what is more important. What we're giving them are the value of the time. And I think that's what you talk about going back and the modeling. Um, sometimes, um, and I have to give a shout-out to my husband here, who's such a great support for me, but I think sometimes we're with our kids and... They have too much. I will be the first one to admit that. But I will tell you, we have the best time when we're playing Scrabble together or that we've, um, are, and we get very competitive. We get on the jeopardy, and it's like, who can get the first answer out? But it's about that time and the attention, which is what I, I think um, both Ms. Shaw and Dr. McGee said, about everyone feeling like you're being heard and feeling valued. So we do get torn about that, and we get torn with the situation with some of our young people where the financial support 
can't be available to give them those things. So what are we saying? What's more important, the financial part or the actual time that we're spending? And that's why I mentioned to you earlier when we were talking about the young people going to see what people do, it was that engagement, that valuing, that individual attention, uh, the modeling, all of that was coming together to say to that young person, you mean a lot to me and having that done in response. So it is hard to avoid doing that, but I think that we see a lot of the payoff um, in the end with that individual time. Okay, let's go over here. I have a question. Uh, I wonder if perhaps some of this is adrift. Uh, civilizations change, words change meanings. Maybe the basis for respect is changing kind of out from under us that what used to be respected, education, age, uh, position, now has been, is being slowly replaced by things like physical prowess, um, ability to run faster, jump higher, put more basketballs in a hoop, whatever, but not so much the things that we used to think composed respect. Is it possible that it's just the definition changing, sort of slowly underneath the way civilizations do? Mr. McGee? Yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's part of it. I, I think that when you, you think about 300, 310 million people living in America and there's four generations of us alive today, we, we all are, are, are very different and times have changed. The, uh, the Kardashians have replaced Ozzie and Harriet, and that's, that's kind of sad, I think. But, but they're, they're, it's all, not everyone, obviously, I think... But, but there's a, an awful lot of me, me, me now. And how does this affect me? And how can I get more? And how can, how can I get this and get that? And, and, and you know, it, it used to be more family. It used to be more community. And, and I, I think there has been a shift from the greater good to what's good for me. And all of a sudden now we're, or what seems like all of a sudden, we're shifting back to something that has pretty much been the way of the world all along. It's been about how do I survive in my particular culture, my environment, myself. And it's, it was only in that relative period of peace and quiet that we could think about how do we survive as a greater culture. So I, I don't know. I'm just looking at it kind of in the perspective of the eons and saying, is this really something that's all that surprising? Survival of the fittest play here? Is that sort of, yeah. <laughs> not exactly. And yeah. I'm not saying that the drift is good necessarily, or good in my opinion, but I think it might be not as unexpected or as disastrous as maybe we sometimes think it is. Sometimes I wonder um, if, it's, if it's because, you know, 70 years ago, um, we didn't have all the technology available to us to allow us to know things instantly. You know, somebody can say something on the other side of the world today, and, we, you know, today and we'll all know it a few hours later. So it feels like we're bombarded with all of this information that might be, you know, suggesting that there's a decline in respect. Whereas, you know, in my day-to-day -day dealings with most people, I don't feel like there's a huge decline in respect. But when I look at the TV and the, the shows that are out there and the movies, I, you know, I wonder. I think people may define it differently. 
Yeah, and you know, the yeah. generations that are coming along that have learned so much about technology and use it so constantly may define that whole concept of respect very differently. Yeah. I, th I think that's um, uh, an example of that, how the definitions are changed, and those who are here where I've probably have spoken to you at Charlotte School of Law is that we have a very um, very different focus in a lot of areas as a more casual approach to it. And when we think about even the practice of law, when I came through in the beginning um, with practicing, everything was more formal. And I think folks who have heard me talk or seen me in court know that I'm more formal because that's the way I see that area. But there is a movement towards a more business casual approach which isn't always good. And with the business casual approach comes a casual attitude. Um, I would have never have come before a judge and made an um, error and said, oh, my bad. <laughs> uh, uh, that, that just kind of took me um, completely aback. How do you respond when someone never. says that? Do you, do you give them the right act? Or? Uh, oh, I corrected. Now, I've, I also come from the position that um, when I was uh, looking at becoming a judge, I always said, I, because other judges did it to me, and I never wanted to do that to anyone else, is berate people mm -hmm. in public, because I just don't think you need to do that. Mm -hmm. You can call people to the bench, and he got called to the bench. So we did have a conversation about that. But the same thing I do probably, and, and it may have been some of the law students here have heard it, when we go and we talk about, when you go to court, there are ways that you're supposed to dress. There are ways that you're supposed to present yourself. It's not like you're going out on a date someplace. Um, and it's not like you use language that you would use with your friends next door. Nor is it like I would get a brief that uses the letter Y for the word W-H-Y. Yeah. But, it, again, yeah. it's, I, I think that there is a shift in how we define sometimes what respect is or what standards are. Um, and in their context, that's fine. But I think that we, what we tend to then get troubled by is when we try to shift that into every setting mm -hmm. um, where it may not be as well received. We have someone else uh, up here. Right here. Dr. McKee, you touched on it a moment ago with Ozzie and Harriet, but I think if I grew up in a more innocent time and, and we came home, the television set in the house, the television set, yeah. had Gumby on it or Leave it to Beaver or, you know, Donna Reed show or something. And, and now I'm thinking, you know, disrespect is now fashionable. I mean, we've, you look at something like Jersey Shore and just turn on you know, Sean Hannity or, or Bill O'Reilly or Rush Limbaugh. And, uh, you know, it, it starts with children not saying thank you, and it ends up with a Congress that has a no compromise. Absolutely. You know, it, it, all, it all comes down to that. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, we would have been a good idea in hindsight maybe to have a political candidate up here, too, who <laughs> had some negative things to say and have them. <laughs> um, thank you for your comments. We have someone else right here. Oh, there's the microphone. Okay. Yeah, I, um, there's two people over here have kind of touched on it, and I, uh, I, I want to remind anybody that this conversation is far and complete if it doesn't 
talk about what happens publicly in the print media, what happens in television, what happens in the radio, um, including FAE, and what happens at sporting events. Um, when we allow, as a culture, people to write and to broadcast and to act, in vulgar and crude and inappropriate manners in public places, that validates that kind of behavior for anybody that's watching, whether they're a three-year-old kid, whether they're a 30-year-old immigrant from another country. We're saying this is how we do things in the United States of America. And to we understand, um, to, to we uh, who care about this sort of thing, put pressure on the people who allow those things to happen. Um, so commercial media outlets, whatever they are, uh, the Carolina Panthers or the Duke University students, um, when we allow that, we are validating that kind of behavior. And if you wonder why a young person thinks that that behavior is appropriate, well, that's broadcast in front of their face every single day of the, every single day of the week. And so this is more than just about how we act. It's forcing other people who have the ability to change cultural behavior act as well. The media. <laughs> I, I think I think you're you're right. I'll bring that 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 is an important topic. Um, do, do people here have strong feelings regarding the media when it comes to respect? Lack. I can't answer that. Um, there was someone else right here. Uh, and keep holding your hand up and someone will get to you next. Or, uh, Actually, I'm sorry. I'm going away from the media aspect. I um, am the sister of a mentally handicapped brother. And I've come a little bit full circle. I did give five boys in our neighborhood black eyes when I was eight years old. Um, and they eventually learned not to say anything bad about my brother. One, um, I had to change. And I had a very plain-spoken grandmother who sat me down one day and said, no one's better than you, but you're no better than anyone else. They do not understand and you have a responsibility to help them. And furthermore, you better get out of yourself. <laughs> I think we need to share with our children the expectation that we have of what, what the expectations are. I'm a firm believer that if we have low expectations, we will be given, we will get what we have asked for. Um, I am a Christian educator and can tell you that I've had parents look at me when I've said, would you please ask your ch child to go to the restroom before worship um, so they don't just, you know, leave in the middle of church. Um, these are things that need to be taught, but I think the best thing that happened was for me to get out of myself and notice what was going on around me. Well... One thing you can, I think, uh, you watch cable news or whatever. A lot of um, a lot of people are uh, fail to do that, are into themselves. Um, interesting topic on the media, um, you know, and, and public, 
you, you, you had mentioned WFAE too. So, uh, but but we're, I don't I don't want to exclude us, and we, we certainly have a responsibility. I hope we um, we, we uh, show respect to people, but media overall, um, what's what is its effect on on people who come before you? What's its effect before people in CMS? I mean. Sometimes I, as a as a parent, I feel frustrated when there's something that's okay for my kids to watch, and then the the commercials ten times worse. Um, <laughs> it's a, that's a small that's a small thing. I mean, what 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 does all this having? Yeah, I don't know really know where to begin here, but just wanted to follow up on that comment. Uh, well, I think one of my personal frustrations, and <clears throat> I've shared this with many friends and in, in, in the media, is. For goodness sakes, with all of the wonderful young people in the world, with all of the wonderful things that people are doing in the world, can't we dedicate two minutes of the news to something good? And, and the, uh, the, the response I always get, and it makes it a little, a little palatable but not completely, is, well, when bad things happen, it's still news. Well, maybe the good news in all this conversation is we still notice when people are disrespectful because if it gets so common that we don't notice it, I guess we really have a problem. But I, but I just wish somehow all the media could just give a little bit of attention to that kid who became an Eagle Scout mm-hmm. or to somebody who, who, who turned their life around or somebody who did something wonderful in school. And, and, and I, I – because uh, – you know, once in a while, it, it, it lifts us all when we hear good news, and uh, it reinforces it, maybe. So. Okay. There was someone here. Oh. Yep. Does she have a mic? Oh, okay. You can get the microphone to her next. All right. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say I think um, a lot of people have touched on this, but we are definitely a society of instant gratification and products of our environment. Um, I work with children first through uh, fifth grade, and uh, not with children, with boys, first through fifth grade. And one of the things that we try to do once a month is to take them uh, out for a weekend into, take them camping, take them on a hike. They cook, they clean, they set up their tent. They are not allowed to have cell phones. They're not allowed to have any type of, uh, um, uh, any type of electronics, uh, item with them, and it's amazing to see how these boys react and how well they do, and they transform themselves into someone that, that, that's very much a pleasure to be around, and maybe they don't come from such a good background. So, you know, I think that the technology today is as great as it may seem. Maybe we are allowing children that are too young to have too much access to it. Um, when, when is it appropriate for a, a, a kid to have a smartphone? Uh, is that is that a? I mean, it's you see eight year olds with smartphones with an iPod. Uh, Look, I see little ones sitting now. I mean, I don't know if I don't know. I don't have one. I told my daughter it was when she gets a job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but but is is this a pro, judge, Maybe you're in a position I mean, to comment on this, but it is, there are parents who, who spend a hundred bucks a month or whatever it is, or more than that for their, to pay for their kids, their, their 10-year-old's iPod. Um, 
it's very common. I mean, it's what, what, do you see that a lot? I mean, I, you, you will see that obviously where there are um, financial situations that are available exactly. or where people make decisions where they want to, and sometimes it's because they want their child not to seem so different from the other children, mm-hmm. that they make a choice to do without something because they don't want their child picked on because that child doesn't have the latest. So there can be competing reasons um, why they have it. One point um, I wanted to go back to that talks about the technology and why we get to situations we do. Um, We see games and we see some really pretty violent games and we think about how do our kids learn about different things. I mean, kids learn about making bombs because you can Google that or get games that have that in it. And the behavior that they see is exactly what people have been talking about, is that that behavior is acceptable because we see it everywhere. It became very sad when we go back to the court that the deputies have to come out and say before the judges come on the bench, this is not Judge Judy, this is not Judge Joe Brown, this is not Judge whomever, this is not Judge whom, and go down the list because... People still think what they see on TV is acceptable behavior so that when you come into court that you can behave like you see people behaving on some court TV show. Um, And again, because that still reaffirms as we talk about the media that these are acceptable things um, or that if my... Uh, and I'll even say for myself, are the people that you look at, if they're modeling a certain behavior, then we are saying, affirming for them, condoning that that's acceptable. So if I get out there and I lose my mind and I'm acting crazy, um, then who am I to say to this young child coming before me that you shouldn't behave the same way? So I don't yell and scream for the bench. I'm not flailing. I'm not doing because I also think that that young church person that comes before me deserves the same respect that I would give an adult coming before me and that I'm modeling the behavior that I want them to see. Um, okay. we, we do have, uh, she's been waiting a long time, then we'll go up to you next, okay? I would like to make those three very brief um, points. Uh, it's unfortunate that uh, we have so little time to discuss um, an issue that really would need a lot more time to discuss. Um, I was in Europe this summer, and I was going to Germany from a tiny London airport, not from Heathrow or Gatwick. Uh, I had to go downstairs. Um, There was no lift, just a few steps. And I noticed... Suddenly, a strange uh, young man looked at my gray hair and helped me, you know, took my little um, carry-on, you know, uh, carried it down for me. Now, strangely enough, again, coming back from Germany, um, the same thing happened um, by another uh, young man when I was getting on the bus. Now... I suddenly thought, hey, wait a minute. Would this happen in the U.S.? And now that is a very, very sad um, point to make. Um, that respect for age. Um, 
I don't know whether you ever see it here. I haven't seen it since I, I've been here. And I come from um, a culture, and, and uh, an African culture, when I was growing up, where respect for other people, concern for neighbors, and respect for people, not only just the, the people older than yourself, but also for everybody. And I think that the problem of respect and disrespect didn't really start in this country with technology, uh, because it looks as if um, what people of my age, um, even in this country, what they found uh, growing up is now um, seems to be completely vanishing. And you find young people, I was in a lift um, at the uh, Gantt um, Theater um, 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 in uh, Uptown here. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us came for a program and most of the people were your older people, because this was a time when younger people were at work, we went into an elevator, and there were two chairs, just two chairs, and lo and behold, who were the people sitting in those chairs? Two teenagers, whereas there were a lot of older people um, there. So it's a, it's a big it's a big problem, and I'm glad that um, WFAE has brought it up, if not because we can solve that, I mean, in a 90-minute uh, uh, program, but because if the radio brings it up to the notice of people, perhaps more people will start thinking of what they can do. Parents have to do a lot to monitor their children. And when the children seem to have forgotten how to say please and thank you, well, I mean... Some, somebody, a lot of us have to um, work on this problem of respect in our society. Thank you. We'll go up here. Uh, just, just an observation. I've noticed that our culture seems to be getting more and more narcissistic. And narcissism kind of puts, puts the person, him or her, at the center of the universe and everybody around them becomes scenery. And I think when people don't treat other people as individuals, they become scenery and they're tended to be treated with less respect. Um, now, where that comes from, I think, are in our, in our cultural images and in, in, in TV, Simon Crawwell and, and Donald Trump and, and, and sports stars and that type of thing. But I, I also think it may come from um, our 24-hour news cycle, where, you know, you, you, you constantly see this barrage of death and destruction and just horrible images. And we may be kind of uh, hunkering down and becoming survivalists. And maybe we're, we're becoming more narcissistic just to survive. So we start to, you know, get that kind of self-preservation instinct and, and, and by rights become more narcissistic and, and try to protect ourselves and put ourselves at the, in the middle of the universe. 
what do you have? What do you what do you think about that, Mr. McGee? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when we when we're the most threatened is perhaps when we're the, the least respectful. And I think if uh, if we feel like our place is is being endangered, or if we think we aren't being given all that's coming to us, I think there's a tendency sometimes to to demand and to push aside feelings and to, and to be rude and disrespectful. It's, uh, uh, yeah, I, I deal with 18 to 22-year-olds mostly. And you talk about a, a group of people that are really concerned about themselves. Uh, as, we oft, as we say, they're, they're often wrong but never in doubt. And, and they are, but, but, it, but it is everything that happens at our university is it revolves around them as individuals they think and so i i i think we're clearly moving to a to a, have moved to a world that's that's that way so. we're gonna go up here and then we'll go to you go oh, go to him her next okay go ahead well for one thing it's clear that this whole room is modeling respectful conversation tonight <laughs> <clears throat> both the panelists and the audience and that's that's refreshing in addition i'm pleased to hear the judge and Dr. McGee both talk about times when by virtue of their office they require respectful behavior of those around them. And I think sometimes we lose our courage to do that, to just say, with whatever clout I have, I'm going to require the people around me to act in a respectful way. But this is an interesting time for this conversation because this country has just finished about a year of public conversation in which we have heard thousands of times, if you disagree with me, you are a bad, evil human being and heard that over and over all day long. Heard prominent Americans insulting other people for disagreeing with them. That's been hammered through the news media for months. And I cannot but believe that that has an enormous amount of effect. I saw it most vividly perhaps a few months ago when a friend of mine, an old friend with whom I disagree a great deal politically, was on the phone with me one day and she said, I hate Barack Obama. Do you hate Mitt Romney? And I was so shocked by the question that what I heard coming out of my mouth, it wasn't a decision, it was a reaction, was, no, I hate hatred. And I've never recovered from just her forcing that out of me. I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. Hatred is the enemy of everybody in the room. And we see it modeled all the time. So what I'm interested in is how do we, we're doing modeling right now. But while we're modeling, how do we fight back this tide of rage and hatred that characterizes too much of American civic life? That's my question. Thank you. Well, Interesting question. That, that was the genesis of my now famous letter to, that I wrote to uh, the op-ed piece I wrote about the uh, election in North Carolina a few months ago. Uh, I said, you know, the, the world is watching us now like they never have before because the National Political Convention is, is in our state. Uh, we're a swing state. And there have been some times in, in my lifetime when I have really been embarrassed at some of our political shenanigans that have gone on in our state. And, and, and I felt like we, we have very fine and, and respectable people who are willing to take time away from their family and serve in these really important roles. For goodness sakes, let's respect them for that. And, and, and I, I, I felt like I, I kid a Jeff about this. I said, I don't think our letter had a thing to do with it. 
But I do think the gubernatorial election this year was, was very civil. And I think it goes back to two very fine men were running. And they demanded that from the people around them, that we're just not going to go there. We're going to talk about what we would do to make our state better. And, and I felt really good about that particular uh, campaign. There were other campaigns I didn't feel so well about. But, but, uh, but, but I, I certainly agree with, with everything you're saying. It's, and I would think, and as, as the gentleman was saying about us using whatever clout, it is your courage individually for each of you when you call someone on it that makes a difference. As you responded to your friend and say, I hate hatred, is that we have to be intentional about calling people on it. Because if we don't, then what we're saying is that was okay. Brings me back um, to at the beginning of, uh, the, of of tonight's event. You mentioned the uh, uh, incident at your granddaughter's birthday party. Do you, I know what you, what, do you wish you had said something, or should we? That's a tough well, situation. Well, I think we've all been in that. But should we say something in those? Well, I, I maybe really it depends on the, the proper thing for me to have done. Probably was to go find the manager and just say, "Listen, I don't want my grandchildren to be subjected to this and these other young people as well. And could you please mm -hmm. do something?" Because you know. There's a risk involved if you try to, mm -hmm. to personally intercede. But, but what I have found from talking with, dealing with young people is that they will come up to the standard you set. If you set a really high standard for them, they will meet that standard. But if you set a low standard, they'll go there as well. And so I, I think that there's a lesson there, that if we have high expectations of the people around us and of our family and of our loved ones, then uh, we can, can certainly begin there. You know, Mother Teresa, when she was in Charlotte a few years ago, she said, uh, if you're really, really, really concerned about world peace, go home and love your family. Right. Well, if you're really, really concerned about this lack of respect, go home with a commitment that my family is going to do this well. We're going to respect one another. We're going to respect our neighbors. We're going to respect everyone else. And that's how it begins. That's how most movements begin is, is in very small pieces all coming together and, and, and going home with a commitment to making that happen. And we, we can make a difference by doing that. Someone right here. Hi. Um, listening to a lot of people, I don't know that we can ever keep up with all the things we're chasing to teach these lessons of respect, like technology and media. And I'm very lucky to work with 9- to 12-year-olds at a Montessori school. And there are so many things that I feel are working well, um, so I wanted to share some of those. Uh, we teach the skills of respect. We model it. I like to make mistakes a lot so I can point them out and apologize um, because I think <laughs> it's important for children to hear adults say, I'm sorry, and I made a mistake, and to show how you work through something like that. We teach communication, problem solving, how to disagree. We do a lot of community service so that we see and feel what it's like to engage with other people and give and to instill inside that power. And, and what it really comes down to is keeping a light inside that really lets them respect themselves. And once the children can start to respect themselves, it will emulate from within. Thank you. We have someone up here, a young person. I'm glad to see speak up. 
I feel that、um, my generation has really been socially crippled because when you think about it, you have to take that phone call. It's so important. So what is your kid going to be doing that time? You're going to sit them down in front of a TV so that you know they can watch whatever show they want. And you know, you think the only social interaction you're really getting there is the awkward pause after Dora says something. I mean, it, it can really cripple. Completely destroy what a kid can hear or tell another person respectfully because they don't have the example to follow because you're on your phone. Thank you. <laughs> Gentlemen, back here. <laughs> I think it's on already. Is it on? Okay, excellent.、Um, well, my name is Benjamin Dunn. I'm actually put a little closer to your mouth. A little closer. Okay.、Uh, I come from a military background. I was、uh, well, and I didn't serve. Actually, my dad served 21 years. Grandfather served 20-something years. Uncles, everyone was in the military except for me because I became diabetic at 14.、Um, so the opportunity wasn't there for me. But I lost my father young. I was 12 years old. But in those 12 years, I feel as though I got to see. A lot of respect that he gave to my mother, that he gave to me and my brother, and to the people that he interacted with on base and off base, and when he drove the bus, and when he did whatever he did to interact in our lives.、Um, it's interesting. We were speaking of the media and electronic devices and all those different sort of things. I feel as though there's a there's a white noise out there that definitely causes a disconnect between individuals. So. I've, I've talked about it before with friends, and I had coworkers. And sometimes somebody says they don't have a cell phone, and they've not gotten a cell phone. And you're like, "What does that feel like?" You, <laughs> I can't even imagine. But I've tried at times. I, I take my battery out of my phone, and I go for a drive, or I go for a walk, and that is the most peaceful feeling there is. When it's just, it's, well, and for me, it's it's me and God. I'm out for a walk, and it's just me and Him, and I'm walking, and I'm seeing what's going on. But um. The scriptures also say to walk with your children, talk to them when you're sitting down, when you're getting up, when you're going forward, and those different times. So a connection needs to come by connecting. Because、um, I have seen it where you know even today there was there was a woman at my counter at work and she was on her phone and she's talking to the counter person and her children are there and they're doing their thing and. You just see that disconnect, and、um, that's you know the, the, that's where I see the the biggest challenge right now is not having a connection to be able to sit down. And even people my age, I'm 37 years old. I'm kind of like the middle of everybody here. But、um, you know, when you sit down with a group at Amelie's and want to sit down and, and get together with some friends and talk, the first thing everyone does is pull out their cell phone. And start playing games, or you know, showing what my iPhone can do and what my Android can do versus your iPhone. It's like we're not having, we're not connecting, and、um, if we don't connect, we're not going to actually know each other and know how to respect each other, as the discussion is here. But we just don't know how to respect each other because we're not connecting with with each other's culture. Um, I had another one of my mentors last night was speaking at, at church too, and he was sharing about how he's over fifty, and you don't get to be over fifty by being stupid, 
and disrespectful. (laughs) And just because you have a smartphone and I have a dumb phone (laughs) doesn't mean that you know more than I do. What it means is you have access to more information, but that doesn't mean you know how to use that information. That doesn't mean that you're able to actually respect someone from what you know. It comes from actually being able to put that into practice. So we have a lot to learn from each other, and I, that's, that's something that I want to put to everyone is to think about how you can put each other in front of each other. I don't know if that makes sure. sense, but I find it very special to get time with someone who's older than me to try my best to learn something from them. And I'll ask the question, so what do you have that, to pass on to me today? Because whatever you may say, I don't care. Whatever it is, I'll take it because you're there and I'm not yet. <laughs> and I want to get there. And I feel that way with people who are younger than me. I want to be able to share with them whatever I can. And I, I, I appreciate what you shared about teachable moments. They come up so often when you get an opportunity to see someone just when there is someone with their hands full of stuff and you see a younger person at a door, it's like, can you get that door for that person? Can you help with that? And I'll help you with that. So, you know, that's me getting an opportunity to teach, but, you know, hoping that something falls over into them and they take that and run with it because you know, that's, that's what we need to do for each other is really teach each other. Mm-hmm. Titus chapter two, that's where it's at. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. One here and up here, and then we'll go to one more person here, and then we'll. I think we are about running out of time, um, coming close, but let's see what we can get in. I guess uh, my comment comes from I've been um, mom of um, young kids, and one of the things I feel we need to do as a society, especially as parents, we need to be a bit deliberate in how we um, want to communicate, especially respect to our children. Because um, there are a lot of forces out there that we want to keep up with the standards. We want to expose them to iPads at two, year old, at two years old. Or like um, the example of the young man, I'm driving and I want to pick up the phone from my friend. I need to, as a young mom, be conscious about this is the time to spend with my children. Maybe put a time limit, say between this time, maybe six to nine o'clock. We don't take phone calls unless it's absolute emergency, depending on where you are. But I think if we're more deliberate in our actions, we will not only um, be consciously teaching our children that there are some things that are more important than a phone call. Mm-hmm. And um, with that, I think as a society, especially, if, I believe we as a society need to demand more from our leaders, especially. This given the example of the recent political elections, it was very viral, very hateful in a lot of sense, and there's no room for allowing us to be to disagree. You know, we we, we all have different perspectives, and I think that's what makes it uh, rich as a society. But when we get to a point where we cannot absolutely tolerate someone because of what they stand for, what they believe in, I think we as a society need to hold our leaders to a very high standard and push back when such situations arise and either either be it sending an email to your congressman or your local leader and just say, no, as a society, stand up. And, for example, the example given by the uh, chancellor, 
where he was at the birthday party and everybody was, the lady was a bit rude to everybody in the room. I think if I was, you know, it's a challenge to us too. I think I'm not one to get into the situation with a person, but there's always somebody in charge of that facility. We need to demand, as a, you know, especially in a group situation, that if somebody's acting outside of character, what we believe would be good for our children, or even those around us, because in a public setting, it's a setting for everyone, I think we need to be courageous enough to be the one, first one to step out and call a manager or seek somebody in charge to actually remove either the person or demand more of the person who could be uh, causing the uncomfortable situation. So I think we all have a part to play. It's not desperate. It's not impossible. But I think we all need to do a little bit to chip at the current situation. Thank, Thank you. you. We'll have two go to you, and then we'll go to her. All right. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. um, my name is Crystal Robinson, and I wanted to speak on what the judge has said as far as the texting back and forth as far as the teenagers. I feel like it's us as parents. Well, I have a little baby. Um, well, let's say y'all, you know, as parents, y'all give these kids these phones at the age of a 10, 11, and 12. And I feel like at that age, there's no reason that a child should have a cell phone. At that age, I mean, what? I mean, you should be outside playing in the grass or something, you know. <laughs> so I feel like, you know, we as parents kind of, you know, we give our kids that obligation to be doing what they do, you know, because we don't pay them no attention. And, you know, I feel like they shouldn't have those cell phones and they should have to communicate through a cell phone, you know. They should be able to communicate with each other. Reading books, these kids nowadays, you know, when I was coming up, kids, we didn't do that. You know, my mama and my grandmother, you know, she had us in books at that age. And see, the generation that's coming up now, they don't even read books. They don't even talk to each other like that. You know, they're outside in the streets doing this and doing that. You know, that's why a lot of us, you know, blacks, whites, Mexicans, whatever, are on the street corners selling drugs. They're doing this. They're in jail. You know, I see the ratio nowadays as far as the statistics for the young, young kids are raised. You know, they're higher now with the juveniles in, in jail and stuff than it was when I was coming up in school. And it's sad. And it's a lot of young parents out here, a lot of young girls and kids out here that are having babies because they don't know because the parents are not teaching them. And the parents are not setting examples because where they're doing their work this they work 24 hours a day you know so they don't have time for these kids and if it ain't the mom that has to work it's the daddy at work you know this always work 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 so they never have time for these kids so what more do they have to do but teach themselves through the cell phone they teaching themselves through this they teaching themselves through their friend they teaching themselves through what they know because they don't have no parents but yet and still we want to have these children or continue to feel like we have to build this family home but how can you build a family home if there's no family there Oh, I thought you... Okay. Um, okay, so um, us four did a project on, like, how to, on, how to help seniors, because we ha are, are in a club, and we asked a few, like, what's their biggest problem, and they said it was respect, mm -hmm. and we talked to, um, to them about it, and they said that they were disrespected by um, younger people on how, like, they don't really learn about technology and how they're slower, and... Um, how they don't really know how, so like they're disrespected because they don't know how and they never learned because it's different because um, people my age are kind of born into it and they're just like know it all their life but um, like seniors would have to like change because we um, talked to someone and they said they would know how to fix a bike but not how to like use a computer. 
Um, Thank you. <laughs> One more. Uh, you, you had wanted to speak? Thank you. Um, I think the problem that I see in this discussion is that with world peace, we all have a pretty good idea what it means to be peaceful, but respect is really hard to define. And if you go ahead and say to someone, you're being disrespectful, then you yourself can be seen as disrespectful. So it's really touchy because every person in every place has their own conventions. I'm from New York originally, and when I talk to people, they're like, oh, I hear everyone in New York's really mean. I'm like, no, that's not true. <laughs> and then since moving to North Carolina and going back to New York and people, you know, don't, like, are always on their phone or they don't hold the door for you, I'm like, wow, they're all so rude and so mean, I can't believe it. And it's just that the expectation is different and we're afraid to define that expectation and there's no clear way to do it. Interesting. Um, thank you. Um, I want to thank our guests for coming here, and uh, I hope I hope all of you got a lot out of this. We know it's tough to continue to have this conversation in 90 minutes, but I sure enjoyed enjoyed it, and I I think I gained some different perspectives. I hope you all did too. Thank you. Thank you. All right.